Welcome to the Valley Beit Midrash podcast, a program of Valley Beit Midrash, a global center of learning and action. We're bringing you the best in diverse, pluralistic Jewish wisdom, all with the goal of improving lives in our global community. I'm Rabbi Shmuley Yanklowitz. Let's get started. Shalom, shalom. It's an honor and delight to be here with my teacher, Rabbi Dr. Daniel Hartman, president of the Shalom Hartman Institute here at Valley Beit Midrash today. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's a pleasure to have you back. Oh, it's wonderful to be here. Enjoy your podcasts and your writings and everything else going on. And it's nice to be in conversation. So much is happening in Israel. And from those of us on the sidelines, we read, we talk to friends and family, but it's hard to always understand the street protests. You know, there's a lot to, to investigate around the details, but are you optimistic? Are you pessimistic? How do you understand what's happening in these dynamics right now, culturally? And where do you think we're headed next? I'm more optimistic now than I've been since Oslo. The, briefly, the fundamental shift that has taken place in Israel is that a society which was drafted to defend its borders is now being drafted to defend the democracy of the country. The, they see the great threat, not as an external enemy, but what is Israel gonna stand for? and issues that Israelis never voted on, never demonstrated on. They voted on issues of security, land, economics. Now, they're talking about democracy, human rights, religious freedom, minority rights. It's just a remarkable moment. But what does it mean for relationships in Israel that, that, that now the opposition is seen as on the uh, opposing side of something so fundamental? See, that's a, that's a great question. That's like a, like, it pays to just just sit with that question, <laughs> like as it really is, because because the consequences could be that one second is democracy now a partisan issue in Israel, but what we're seeing happening is that major segments of the right are moving in this direction too, so that the left-right divide is almost over. When I look forward, see there is nobody pushing for um, a resolution of a conflict with the Palestinians. Nobody believes it's possible. Whether right or wrong, they just don't believe it's possible. Um, so economics, there is no right-wing, left-wing economic theory. So what does it mean to be right-wing center? It just doesn't. It just doesn't mean anything. The division was: Are you for BB or against BB? And now that is not enough um, to rally the troops. And in fact, 15, 20 percent of those who voted for the right are saying, "One second, I also care about issues of democracy and religious freedom." And so. Again, a war in Gaza or an operation in Gaza could bump things up in the short run. Yeah. Um, but in the long run, you have a, a, a realignment of Israeli society. And it's true. The ultra-Orthodox and segments of the religious Zionist community and a small segment of the Likud party yeah. are aligning themselves in more ultra-nationalist language. Right. Right. But that's not where the majority of Israelis seem to be moving right now. And it's um, if we can do our work, yeah. And this could go, we are on the dawn, I believe, of, uh, of, of moving in the direction of the Israel we want. And from yeah. the perspective of a North American Jew, um, an Israel that stands for um, human rights, liberal values, religious freedom, this is an Israel that a North American Jew could have a much deeper relationship with as well. Are you in the camp that thinks that the, the, the judicial overhaul is really a minor difference and we can all come together and find a consensus or that these are drastically different visions of, of government? Um, 
The answer is yes and no. <laughs> and again, it's a great country, a great question because the key issue is the article the. Um, the judicial reform. The judicial reform was, I believe, um, transformational um, and undermining the possibility of Israel to be a country in which human rights um, were protected. Yeah. A judicial reform? Like beforehand, I never studied it. I didn't know. What it, I was happy. Like I was like most Israelis. Do you know what most Israelis did? It's a little secret that many of you don't know. Should I tell you what we did? <laughs> we didn't have to worry about democracy because we said, Abba and Mami are going to worry about it. And who's Abba and Mami? Supreme Court. They're going to protect us. They're going to make sure that we don't cross the line. And so Israelis actually wanted an activist Supreme Court. They were very confident. You know who liked it the best? Netanyahu. He used it all the time because it enabled him to sit with ultra-Orthodox and far-right-wing nationalists who he doesn't agree with. And they would say, we want this. And he would say, you know, I'm with you. But what, what could we do? The Supreme Court's not going to let us. So um, so I was, I was happy too. But when you actually... Um, listen in the conversation. You hear what people are, and you start reading. And I spent about 150 hours studying the judicial reform. Turns out that there's issues that are legitimate. Some jud and by the way, most Israelis could understand that too. There are certain issues that are, there's no room to negotiate over. But some issues that actually could be an improvement, as a great legal scholar in Israel said, and this encapsulates the whole thing. He said, if the reform passes, Israel's Supreme Court will be the weakest Supreme Court in any Western democracy. But the situation as it is right now, Israel's Supreme Court is the most powerful Supreme Court mm -hmm. in any mm -hmm. Western democracy. So there's room. Yeah. But then, but you, what you have to do is then it can't be about winning, it has to be about substance. Right. There's right. room for substance. So when, when decent people are willing, so could a compromise happen conceptually? It can even yeah. those who advocate for the reform aren't for it anymore. Yeah, yeah. They're not for it. Like they said, oh my God, oh no, oh we agree. Oh, override, which enables a simple majority of the Knesset to override the Supreme Court. No, that that uh, yeah. that shouldn't be. Right. Um, right. To have Supreme Court justices completely controlled yeah. by political parties in a system where there are no checks and balances, that's really dangerous. Yeah. So these even they don't want all of it. Right. Right. But but then, you know, ego gets involved. Mm -hmm. And as you mm -hmm. said, you know, it's like, what side are you on? And sometimes when you join a certain side, you're supposed to shut down your brain. Mm -hmm. You're like, there's a party line. If I'm here, then there's, this is the truth. And if I'm here, this is the truth. So whether we're going to be able to overcome some of that ego or not is, is tough. The one thing in our advantage is self-interest. Mm -hmm. um, even people on the Likud, besides the, the radical ideologues, see their popularity decreasing. Mm -hmm. their, their party is losing 10 seats, a third of its seats mm -hmm. yeah. in, in recent polls. So when self-interest is, is, is on the table, um, then usually um, th that's what values need <laughs> in order to win. <laughs> so if we listen into the Arab communities, how they're understanding this yes. moment, whether it's the Israeli Arabs, whether it's the non-Israeli Palestinian Arabs, how, 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 how are some of those communities grappling with what's happening inside of right. our, our... So first of all, let's move aside the, the, the Palestinians okay. in, in Judea, yeah. Samaria, or the West Bank and Gaza. They're, they have no investment in what's happening in Israel. Um, they're, a large percentage of them think that peace is not possible. Many of them are engaged in a war 
in a zero-sum game, we're going to win, you're going to lose. It's either going to be a Palestinian state or it's a Jewish state. There's no, the two-state solution is not, the, so the Supreme Court is, is Israel's problem. The more interesting and important question is 20% of Israeli society, the Israeli Arab Palestinians, and um, they're really not yet part of the conversation. And um, even though almost every demonstration has an Israeli Arab Palestinian mm. speaking, mm. which is brand new, because mm. the first few weeks they says, "No, let's not do that," because we want to make sure there's a consensus. And this mm. is, you know, we're, we're, this is still a uh, a revolutionary issue. It is, but not anymore. They're speaking, but the population, listen, Israeli Arab Palestinians believe that they have never been sufficiently seen and cared about, cared for in Israeli society, and. The Supreme Court, they believe, um, enabled and allowed a, a systemic discrimination against them. And so they mm -hmm. see this as an inner, you know, mm -hmm. the, one of the lines of my colleague, Muhammad Arausha, he has this famous line where he says, Israel wants to be a Jewish democracy. It wants to be Jewish um, for the Arabs and democratic for the Jews. Mm -hmm. And so th they didn't feel that they're having their full share and their full space yet. So. I think that they're going to have to stand up. In other words, at one point, are you going to say, okay, I was harmed in the past, but I could, I could change that if I become invested. I don't know. So far, their political leadership hasn't made that decision. Whether there are some shifts in, in the street, it's still too early yeah. to say. Yeah. So on the topic of trying to engage our societies, maybe a last question here around difference. Fostering a, a notion of pluralism, not an absolutism that my truth is the truth, not a relativism that we're not interested in truth, but a sense that I'm willing to fight for my values and truths, but create space for yours. You know, how do you see kind of the, uh, the lines shifting in terms of um, what it looks like to, to bring that ethos into society today? In Israeli society, and maybe even if you, if to the extent you have your finger on the pulse of North American, you know, Jewish society as well, where more than religion, although that's still a factor, we're, we're kind of hyper-politicized divide as well. Right. So, like, on, this is the great paradox. Um, on the issue of religion, pluralism, and even relativism reigns. <laughs> it's like, it's, yeah. it's, since you have a right to do something, it is assumed that you can also be right in doing that. Mm -hmm. We don't want boundaries, we don't want to talk, everybody could do whatever they want to do, and most Jews live that way. So they don't even get, like, either they believe that everything is legitimate or they're just, it's like, I'll do my thing, you do your thing, and we leave people alone. Um, on issues of religion, um, even within it, even within orthodoxy, there's been serious um, progress in, pluralism is not the same, but at least as tolerance, but in tolerating difference, in recognizing that religious coercion is not acceptable, even in Israel. Even Haredi parties say, I don't coerce people. In the public sphere, it's not about coercing you, it's about maintaining Israel's identity. So we're actually in an era where Jews embrace the fact that different Jews are going to live their Judaisms differently. Mm -hmm. But what's so remarkable is that some of the most pluralistic people, yeah. when it comes to politics, all of a sudden they act like ultra-Orthodox right-wing Jews. And you, it, it makes you, it's, it's like a moment to pause. Was the reason for my pluralism because I didn't really care that much? Right. The issue wasn't that important. Right. You know, because then if you don't care that much, then of course, okay, you yes. like these and these. But when you've reached something that you care about, as you know very well, and this 
exists more, I see it in the United States, but also in Israel, where um, it's not also in Israel on, on this just Netanyahu, not Netanyahu, that if you advocate for pluralism, just like if you advocate for compromise, it's not that it's not that pluralism is a value. Pluralism undermines your values. That the greatest value is to be committed, right? And not and pluralism is very often seen as whitewashing. No, you can't say that there's something positive in the other side. No, 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 something positive. You could say nothing is positive, and then um, so we're actually um, in the political discourse in the midst of one of the most of the least pluralistic times, and. Um, it started in America a number of years ago, even before American politics or Israeli politics. It had to do with, um, do I agree with your position on uh, on on the occupation? Or like I had, there were radical left-wing individuals when it comes to religion, pluralistic when it comes mm -hmm. to religion, who said anybody who has this position, you know, they're boycott. It's like so. It, we're we're actually in in a as you know in a, in a moment where we're not. See, we're not listening. Pluralism is not something mm -hmm. that starts. Mm -hmm. Pluralism is, you start by listening. Yeah. You start by recognizing, you know, I have something to learn from you. Yeah. And like allowing yourself to be surprised, like you said something, and you can say, you know what, I didn't think of that. Yeah. You taught me something. Yeah. And when that happens, then that's, that's the world that pluralism wants to create. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately now, that's that's seen as weakness. Yeah. And that we have a, we have our, our commitment to values requires of us um, perpetual war. Yeah. And so that's, uh, that's one of the frontline issues that we're going to face. We face as a Jewish people, we face in Israel, and I think you face here in the United States. Because at yeah. the end of the day, if you want to be a country, you can't cancel half of the society. Right. Right. It just doesn't work. Beautiful, beautiful. So friends, let's keep listening. Let's keep talking. Let's keep learning. Uh, continue to follow Rabbi Dr. Danielle Hartman's podcasts and blogs and writings and his book coming out in November called um, Who Are the Jews and Who Can We Become? Beautiful. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Valley Beit Midrash podcast. Remember that you can join our email list at valleybeitmidrash.org to stay up to date on new programs, learning opportunities, and more ways to stay connected. If you enjoyed learning with us today, support our work by making a donation at valleybatemadrash.org slash donate. Join us next time as we continue to work together to build a better world. Thanks for listening.